Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to OCC. We're the second week into a message series called The Proven Playbook, and we're looking at the key plays or practices that we have here at church. We've been using these for the past 10 years. And, you know, coaches and captains, they know the playbook. They know the plays they run. If you're on a football team, they know the plays that they run. They scrimmage and practice over and over and over, and they drill the plays that work and the plays that help win games. And so we have some plays, and we're calling them practices, that we just keep going back to over and over, year after year. And we call these the seven OCC, or Orange Crest Community Church, heart attitudes. These are uh, issues of the heart, deep down At the core of your life, these are the areas that we are wrestling with. And so these heart attitudes challenge us to adjust what is maybe our normal defaults in life. Some of the attitudes, we we have some default bad attitudes. And so this is going to address some of the, the areas that God wants us to adjust for things to move forward here as a a congregation. Now these seven practices that we're looking at, these are not gimmicks or just, you know, catchphrases. These are actually summaries of some core commands from the Bible that we're going to flesh out in this series. And even the earliest Christians practiced these commands. And so we're going to look at those together. Last week we looked at the very first practice, and it it is this. It's to put the goals and interests of others above my own. This is called heart attitude one, or practice number one. And in sports, you might hear the phrase, hey, take one for the team. And if you're a player and your coach says, hey, take one for the team, it means that you take the hit or you make the sacrifice or you lean in and and take a a pitch on the back in order to get on base so that you can uh, be the person that, you know, maybe you're the winning run or the tying run. But taking one for the team is a sacrificial act that you take on a sports field for the good of the team. And it's not just, I was reflecting on it from talking last week about this, it's not just take one for the team. This, This attitude, this practice is actually take it Take many for the team. This is built on the idea of sacrifice. This comes from Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, uh, Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but uh, in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look to the interests of others. Not just your own interests, but there's this positional issue of kind of lowering ourselves and exalting others. And so because of that, we, want it, we aim to put the goals and interests of others above our own. Today we're going to look at the next practice and from the playbook. And this is a practice that is required for, and it's really crucial, for trust to grow. And so when you trust someone, uh, you, you can relate long term. The team, the group can continue to grow, it can continue to thrive, and it can continue to make progress if there's trust. Uh, when trust is violated and broken, what happens is progress stalls and all the players or all the people regroup and they're reevaluating. What do we do now? What do we do next? When trust is broken, it, 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 it blocks progress. Now in sports, if you're a sports fan, then you, you, you see these players, these athletes on the field. You see kind of their, their public life. It's, it's on highlight reel. It's, people are commentating on it. You may watch them. Uh, and you may follow certain players. They're your favorites. Occasionally, though, an athlete's private life turns deceptive or it even turns criminal. And then everyone, all the fans or even other players are scratching their head going, man, how did this 
happen? Where did this come from? I didn't see that coming. He seemed so trustworthy. He seemed like such a team player. He seemed like, you know, we could just rely on him. And then this, this area comes out and you find out these, these athletes. So years ago, a handful of, of baseball power hitters came under scrutiny. Uh, many were caught up in a, in a huge doping scandal. And some of you probably remember the doping scandals of baseball. And it threw all the record books, you know, kind of into question. Like, who's, who's really the all-time home run single you know, season leader, or who's the all-time home run leader, and these things are now in question. You have people's names in record books, and there's like a little mark next to their name now, like, can I really trust that this is legit? Um, we see this show up in the Olympics, and, you know, there's mandatory testing for athletes, and, you know, if, if people are found with performance enhancement drugs in their systems, then they'll be banned, or maybe a whole team would be banned, or a country might be banned through this issue now. And, but no story really has rocked the sports world and captured media attention like, like Lance Armstrong. I mean, this story that, you know, this is, you know, I'm not breaking news right now. This is, this is a few years ago when this broke, but uh, Lance Armstrong, the cyclist, he, he began doping in, in the 90s through the early 2000s, and he won seven Tour de France titles. Now later, he was stripped of all of those titles and he was banned from all professional sports. He was a triathlete before cycling and so, but he's not able to compete in any sports because of the misuse of, of uh, performance enhance, enhancing drugs. You know, he finally confessed. For years, he denied and denied and denied. And he was, I did not do that. I didn't. There were all sorts of accusations. And, and but finally, he confessed to the world on, on Oprah. He did this in January 2013. And so, take a look. This is a brief clip from the confession of Lance Armstrong in 2013. So here we are in Austin, Texas. A few days ago, you texted to the Associated Press and said, I told her to go wherever she wants. Her meaning me. Mm -hmm. And I'll answer the questions directly, honestly, and candidly. That's all I can say. Those are your words. Those are my words. When we first met a week ago today, we agreed that there would be no holes barred and there would be no conditions on this interview and that this would be an open field. I think that's best for both of us. I, I, I agree. <laughs> so here we go. Open field. So let's start with the questions that people around the world have been waiting for you to answer. And for now, I'd just like a yes or no. Okay. Okay. This whole conversation, we have a lot of time, will be about the details. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Yes or no, was one of those banned substances EPO? Yes. Did you ever blood dope or use blood transfusions to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Did you ever use any other banned substances like testosterone, uh, cortisone, or human growth hormone? Yes. Yes or no? In all seven of your Tour de France victories, did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. In your opinion, was it humanly possible to win the Tour de France without doping seven times in a row? Not in my opinion. So when did you first start doping? 
We're done with the yes and no's. We're done with the yes and no's. Um, you know, I suppose earlier in my career there was uh, cortisone and then um, uh, the EPO generation began. And uh, Began when? For me or for... For you. Um, uh, Mid-90s. Mid-90s. So whenever this type of confession happens in sports, again, people are shocked. People feel deceived. People are disappointed. I mean, some people got into cycling because of Lance Armstrong. Some of you may even bought a Trek bicycle because of Lance Armstrong. You know, and, and, or, and you got into this because of a hero like this, and then this story breaks. And See, trust is the bedrock of relationships. Trust is essential for teams. And so this second practice of our playbook here at OCC is critical for us as a church. And so we aim to practice this. Now, we're not perfect at this, but we aim to practice this. And there's some nuances that we're going to flesh out. But here's the practice number two. This is the OCC heart attitude number two. Live an honest, open life before others. Live an honest, open life before others. In the Bible, this shows up often, this issue. In the Old Testament, uh, here's Leviticus 19, verse 11. God is laying out a standard for his people a way of living for the Israelites, and they were instructed with this boundary. Do not lie, do not deceive one another. If you do, this would have an impact on the rest of the Israelite, the Jewish people, the community, your family, your spouse, your, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors. Trust is critical for the health of a community. And so even from the earliest instructions from God, we see this boundary. Now in the New Testament, Jesus, he, you know, after he rose from the dead and the early church was formed, Paul one of the early church leaders, he wrote that in order for the church to really grow as a healthy unit, we need to be able to trust each other. There needs to be a, a, a level of, of trust. Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 15. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. He's describing somewhat of our default preset attitude of, of deception of lying of covering up for our own benefit and he's talking about how God uses leaders and members and to bring about change in this default way of doing life of, of deceiving you and I there's this default preset to to look good before there's to, to hide things for this so we'll look good and, and so Paul is saying look Jesus He's writing this letter to this church. He's saying, Jesus has changed you at the heart level. He died to bring about this change. He died to, to offer your forgiveness. And he's changed you at the heart level. And so God has, he brings now the power to change. So instead of the deceitful scheming, verse 15 says, instead of the old way, instead speaking the truth in love. This is the new way. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in Him. Who is the head? That is Christ. Leaders, members, there, there needs to be a commitment to speaking the truth. The, this is not an option, Paul is writing to the church. The reason is because we are all, we're all connected. And so we make this commitment to one another. And we aim to practice this. And it's been a real source of help as a congregation as we aim to practice this. Living honestly and openly before one another. You, you see the phrase, in all things grow up. True, there's a connection between truth and growth. If people know who you are, the byproduct is growth for the body. Reflect for a moment. If you're a Christ follower, reflect for a moment 
And maybe think back to the past five years. And if you would describe the past five years of, of your, if you're a Christ follower, so think back over the last five years of your Christian life. There's a connection to your growth and being known by others. So it's not likely that you've experienced life-changing dramatic growth apart from being open and honest. That's a part of how we grow. In all things we grow up. Or on the other hand, if, you're, if you'd say, you know what, I'm not really growing, then I want to encourage you, check this area out. Am I known? Am I living an honest and open life before others? Does anybody really know me? Now, we, we all try to wear name tags around here. Notice you're not the only one wearing a name tag. And because for us, that communicates the first step of being known. You have a name. It's not just that you're, oh, there's, oh, there's this many heads. And no, it's there, there are people here with names, and we want people to get to know one another. It begins here, but there are major limitations in our spiritual growth if this room and this gathering and a name tag is as far as you're willing to go to be known. You, you have to move even beyond the name tag. You have to get to know one another. Paul here, he's describing this. He describes the early church as, as a body. And he uses the metaphor of the physical body. Look at Ephesians 4.25 later in the same chapter. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Since Adam and Eve, deception, since the first man and woman rebelled and sinned against God and went their own way, Deception, lying, falsehood has been native for humans. It's, it's, you don't have to work hard to lie, do you? Paul says, hey, let go of lying. Let go of that old way and replace it and do this. Speak truthfully. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. We're, for we are all, why? Well, we're all members of one body. The metaphor of the body is, is something I want you to think about for a moment. This is, I think, what makes this picture really powerful. If Paul's writing to a church, he's saying, you're like a, you're like a body. You're all connected. You're inter- interdependent. There's parts that are working together in this church. And that's, that's the same for us, just as it was for them in the first century. Now, with your physical body, when your physical foot is, is injured, the rest of the body knows about it. They, the rest of the body, your physical body, knows and makes compensations and adjusts to the injury of your foot, if you sprain your ankle, then everything is thinking to protect the ankle. And you don't ignore that because there's this interdependency within the body. Parts are working together. But whenever my, you know, whenever members of my body lie to each other, trouble begins. Whenever members of my physical body lie to the other parts, trouble really begins. And, I, and as I get older, this just keeps happening. My body's lying more and more to itself. <laughs> my mind says one thing. Sure, you can still lift that. Sure, you can still rotate that way. And sure, you can still rely on that body part like you used to. And sometimes I lie to myself. My body's lying to itself. And what happens is I pay the price the next day because I I thought I could trust something that I couldn't trust anymore. And so I get injured. And in my mind, it's like, I, I can still sprint. I can, till, I can still run. I can still jump just like I used to. Um, but my body lies to itself. And actually, I have a two-inch scar right here. I'm not going to show you. But I've got a two-inch scar right here you know, where my shoulder and bicep connect that proves my body lies to itself. And some of you, you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. 
You're like, I feel pretty good. You know, I can rely on, on my body and then everything's working the way it ought to. And then others of you, you're, you're feeling parts of your body right now. All of a sudden, you're like, oh yeah, he does. He's, 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 he's striking a chord with me. Certain aspects of your body, you're like, oh, I can feel that scar. I can feel that pain in the joints. I can feel that pain in my knee or, or wherever. In a similar way, whenever someone in the church family, those who are committed to this body, the body of Christ, whenever someone's not being honest in the body, since we're interdependent, then we pay a price. We all pay a price. The body is robbed of growth if we're not living an honest and open life with one another because we're all connected. Now, I want to break this down because this has several nuances and I want to give some of the, the parameters and the guidance on this heart attitude from the Bible. So there's a listening guide you can follow along. So let's, let's walk through this together. What does it mean to be honest? To be honest is this, to be free from deception and lies. Now here are the honesty opposites. To deceive. This is honest, an honesty opposite. To deceive. To deceive is to cause to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. I cause you to believe something that is just not true. That's to deceive. Or to lie. To make an untrue statement or create a false or misleading impression. Now, we can lie in, all, in, in creative ways, can't we? You can lie with your words. You can lie with your looks. You can lie with your body motions, your body language. You can lie with just being silent. There are a lot of ways that we know how to lie, right? And isn't it just so easy to lie? Yeah. You remember Pinocchio? The puppet who, with a little help from a magic fairy, becomes a boy and just like us, has a problem with lying. Except that here's the major difference with Pinocchio. Every time he told a lie, his nose would grow. Aren't you glad this doesn't happen to you? That every time you told a lie, even a small lie, your nose is like... Walk around. Told a lie, huh? Yeah. Man, and get away with it. Can you imagine if this were to happen? <laughs> I mean, exaggerations, which if I'm honest, this is where I'm, I'm tempted in, in this area I, and, and have been corrected in the area of exaggerations. Not that I'm not tempted by other forms of lying, but this would be maybe my, my, uh, my choice, my lie of choice, exaggeration. The fish was, you know, it was, it was this big, man. It was huge. And it really is like, you know, this big. Or... You know, it weighed this much. Did you have a scale out there? How do you know how much it weighed, you know? Or, or I ran five miles. And really it was like 2.6, but it just didn't seem right to say two and a half miles. So it's five miles. Or there was, yeah, there was 75 people present in the room, but you said, yeah, it was about, a, about 100 at least. It's exaggeration. And with every lie... Look at Pinocchio's nose sprouts longer and longer. And this, this just becomes more and more obvious to the people around him that he needs a lot of coaching in life, right? And correction in life. Honesty matters, even in the little things. And so what are we called to? We're, we're called, as Christ followers, if, if you're one of Christ's followers, you're called to live differently. In other words, we walk in truth. 3 John verse 4. 
John, one of the leaders of, of the church, was writing a letter circulated amongst the earliest churches. and He writes this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This word walk just means to live in truth. John is saying that as he looked around, a lot of Christ followers had a pattern of truth telling and he was just overjoyed. And he's writing about the joy that this brought him personally to see people living in the truth. Why is this such a big deal? It's because of this. It's because Jesus, the one that we want to line our lives up with, as his followers, Jesus is truth. He answered this in this way. I am the way and the truth and the life. So at the core of, of reality is God. And if we're to reflect him accurately, then we're to live truthful lives. Here's another thing. Also lies, they open us up to the demonic. The demonic realm. There's a very real supernatural realm. And here's an example of that. Early on in the life of the church, in the first century, there was this pattern of extra giving where people were just opening up their wallets and giving to needs that were coming up. And there were some financial needs and people were starving. Some of the Christians were starving. So people were, were helping. Those with resources were, were giving. And those that, that had very little were, were being generous and thinking of others. So here's an example in Acts 4. A man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He had a field, and he sold the field that he owned. He brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. Now, another couple sees what Joseph did, and they thought, man, we want to get in on the generosity. But this couple decides to go a little further, and they decide their ultimate goal is to get a little status before the rest of the group by giving. So deep in their heart, there was another motive. Look at chapter 5. The very next part of this uh, book says, Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal. You know, he's saying, you, you didn't have to give it all. Why did you make it look like you were giving it all? Why did you need to lie in this way? You, God gave Peter some insight. And then he says this, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men but to God. But he describes it as, Satan has filled your heart. This opened a doorway. Where, wherever we, whenever we get into lying, we start playing into the enemy's hands. This sets into motion, oftentimes, very, very serious consequences. You can see it was destructive in their, in their lives. Husband and wife, they both, like, die. There's this severe, strict judgment. God's trying to build something at that point upon his people, and, and all of a sudden, a real seriousness broke out amongst the church. Like, God is real. He's serious. There was this real... Do I really want to trust and fear God and take Him seriously? Well, this situation probably brought a lot of people to a point of, I want to walk seriously with God. Now, you, you can read more up on that for yourself. That's in Acts chapter 5. But here's another aspect of it. Light, truth, builds fellowship. Darkness, or those things that are deceptive, destroys trust and fellowship. So we have 1 John 1, 7. John writes, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Wherever, you know, whenever we're honest with each other, 
If you're honest with people, that means you actually have a relationship with them. You know, you, you might think, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm close to that person. But if you're really not honest, you probably... Now, I'm not talking surface-level friends like acquaintances. I'm talking if, if you believe you have a, uh, a real relationship, it, it, then it's because you, you are sharing openly, honestly, back and forth. There is, there's a basic level here of, of trust through that sharing. Here's a quote. Not telling the truth is the quickest way to turn yourself into a stranger. So if you make it a pattern of lying, people sort of kind of back away from us, wondering, man, I don't know if what they're saying is true. I don't know if I can trust them. I'm trying to figure out what's true and what's questionable. Here's another quote. If you tell a lie once, then all your truths become questionable. Now here's back to Lance Armstrong's story. Oprah asks him to share about the impact on his kids and just confessing that to his children who were defending him as they saw him defending his reputation for years. So they would have his back, you know, just like your kids would have your back in a situation like that if you're saying, no, I didn't do that. But then he comes clean and and she asks that question. So let's watch the continuation of that. What do you tell Luke? You've been fighting this. Luke's 13. You've been fighting this thing his entire life. What do you tell Luke? He's 13, he's old enough to know oh, trust what's going on. He, uh, they know a lot. They hear it in the hallways. Not a lot. I mean, I think Luke and the girls, yeah. And the girls. Their schools, their classmates have been very supportive. Um, where you lose control with your, your kids is, is when they go out of that space. Right. Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook. Twitter, then the feedback comes. But what did you tell him? Well, first I want to tell you what happened. Okay. Uh, When this all really uh, started, I saw my son defending me and saying, uh, that's not true. What you're saying about my dad is not true. And it almost goes to this question of why now? He can't. Yeah. That's when I knew I had to tell him. And he'd never asked me. He'd never said, Dad, is this true? trusted me mm-hmm. and I heard about it in the hallways what did you say to him uh, at that time I didn't say anything mm-hmm but that's the time I knew that I had to say something. You heard that he was defending you. Yeah, or yeah. Yeah. to other kids. Other kids, yeah. On Instagram replying, no, mm-hmm. you know, it gets ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had to, you know, at that point I decided I have to say something. Mm-hmm. This is out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have to have that talk with him, mm-hmm. which was just here over the holidays. 
What did you say? <laughs> I said, listen, there's, uh, there's been a lot of questions about your dad, my career, whether I doped or did not dope. I've always denied that. And I've always been ruthless and defiant about that. You guys have seen that. It's probably why you trusted me on it. Mm-hmm. Which makes it even sicker. Um, and I said, I want you to know that it's true. And there was the girls who were 11. Mm-hmm. They're twins, as you know. And Luke. And they didn't say much. They didn't say, but wait, Dad. They just accepted it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told Luke, I said, Don't defend me anymore. That's that's it's heavy. It it in order for trust that had been violated to be restored, the truth had to come out. Things had to move from darkness to light. Now, if you're a parent, you're setting an example for your children, and so let that be another motivator that the next generation they need an example. Of truth telling, and when you realize, you know, I haven't been truth telling. You got to drag it out into the light, and you got to own in the appropriate way. Now, this picture or just truth telling can be costly. It can be difficult, and but you know, children children need an example of what this looks like. And the tests will just keep coming if you're a parent. They will come. Big tests. Small tests, but they'll just keep coming. Small things like not being given the correct amount of change at the supermarket and realizing, you know what, that's not what I deserve to receive back and giving that back and being clear like this is it's not ours. And, or, or big things like taxes and just making, you know, making things right and, and talking about the importance of truth. As your kids get older and gain more privileges in life, those privileges are tied to trust and honesty. And if there are patterns in your kids' lives of deception and you want them to do well in life, then you've got to work with them on those patterns before just granting them more privileges because kids lie and they have to learn not to. But lies make people back off from us. And so truth builds relationships while lies undermine. Now if I'm honest, let's keep walking through this. If I'm honest, it means that the person I present on the outside reasonably reflects the real me on the inside. Essentially, you're saying, I'm not, I'm not deceiving. I'm being honest. And what I present to be the truth actually is the way things really are. And so this raises an important question. How much do I tell? What, what should I tell? Well, I tell this. I tell, uh, this is what the scripture guys, that we would tell what is accurate, but not exhaustive. Accurate, but not exhaustive. Exhaustive is everything that I know. So Proverbs 12, 23, accurate 
is what's really going on or has gone on. Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Now, you may have known people, or you might feel like, oh, that's a description of, of, of my own life. And you're, you might be thinking, you know, I have a pattern of gushing. I just say too much. There are those that just share everything, and it's just, it's just too much, and we all know it's too much. And we're like, stop, stop. <laughs> so make your conversation appropriate. Here's some guidance. Make your conversation appropriate to the level of the conversation. If someone says, hey, how's it going? That's just kind of a surface level basic question, right? Hey, how's it going? And you go into private health issues, sleep issues, details that shouldn't be mentioned in that setting. You're making comments about, you know, some authority structure in your life, a leader in your life. And it's just, that's not at the appropriate level to, hey, how's it going? So good guide, guidance is mouth to mouth. That's, that's hello language. Hey, how's it going? It's back and forth. You're talking basic hello language. Head to head, is, is the, it requires a, level, a certain level of trust and because at that level you're sharing ideas back and forth. Heart to heart requires a great deal of trust. So the problem comes and we just don't want to take heart to heart type stuff and push that up to the mouth to mouth level. When we do that, it can be really difficult in relationships. What it, now, what do you do if life is hard, though? Well, reply generally, but reply honestly. Don't, but don't obligate the other person to get involved in the difficulty because it may not be that the relationship is really at that level of trust. And so this gives them the way out. Because we can obli- obligate people when you reply to, hey, how's it going? You can obligate people by saying, boy, it's, it's, it's rough, but you know, you wouldn't want to know about that. You kind of sort of have to say, go ahead and tell me about it. <laughs> you could just say, accurately, hey, it's, it's going pretty tough right now, but I'm, I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. Which is true, and people don't feel obligated at that point. You don't have to be exhaustive about it all. If it's not at that level of conversation or relationship. It needs to be accurate about what's going on, but it doesn't have to go into great, great detail. Also, another piece of guidance from the scripture is this. I tell what's discreet and helpful. You don't need to be transparent in all your personal relationships. Transparency is not the same as discretion. Transparency is I'm revealing all the details. Instead, aim for discretion. Honesty and sharing and showing good judgment, it goes, it goes well. So we have Proverbs, an interesting picture, Proverbs eleven twenty two, kind of an image. Try to get your mind around this image for a moment. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So you, you sort of have this proverb describing a lady who shares way too much. And it's just not fitting. And so the proverb, it's just kind of describing this whole situation just feels out of place. <laughs> you know, it's just like a, a gold ring in a pig snout. That's just out of place. So not all the information needs to be shared with others that we have. This is oftentimes the case about business matters, about private matters. You might hear some 
information and the temptation to us all is to go and blab that information to everybody that you know. But you think about the issue of discretion. Is this the right time? You want to be faithful with the information that has been entrusted to you and ask the question, What's, why, why was this shared with me? So aim, aim to be discreet, also aim to be helpful. This is a great goal. Guide your mouth. Select the words that come out of your mouth. Put your words on a leash. Don't just open and let words fly. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is great guidance. Guide your words. Now, here's what it means to be open. Open means this. I'm exposed to question. While some parts of my life are more private, Questions can be asked of any area if they need to be. That's this idea. I'm open. There are details about my marriage that are private. But to be open means I'm exposed to question in those areas. That means, and actually I have, I have guys in my life that I know will check in with me and do check in with me on the condition of my marriage. And if I say, yeah, it's going pretty good. And if they really want to know, they might, and they have permission to ask my wife the same question and I may say, yeah, it's going pretty good. And she might, she might say, well, I'd love to talk about a few things. And, you know, and because I'm a guy just like the rest of the husbands in the room, it's like there could be an issue to where they ask me, how's the condition? I'm, it could be like, it's going great. And just there's core issues I'm ignoring. I get in the zone in life, get focused on things and busy. And I may, maybe, I may be missing something. So, but I, I need to live open to questions. You need to live open to questions in your life. You need people in your life that will, that will check in on you. Now, a closed life generates distrust, prevents genuine relationships from forming, and it violates good judgment. That's a life that's closed off. Proverbs 18.1, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you close yourself off, you prevent yourself from building good relationships. Now, you might be able to lie for a long time, but eventually, we all know this, the truth comes out. You cannot be an effective liar long term. It just burns inside. And you and I, we are not the exception on that. So why not choose to build this practice of living an honest and open life before others? Choose that. This is one of our practices here. We, we aim to practice this. Not perfectly, but we aim to live an honest and open life before others. It's possible for people to be here for years and years and not be known really. And then you can leave hurt and sad and feel like, man, no one really cares about me. But it could be that all along people were trying to relate to some false version of who you were presenting on the outside. So be where you are. Don't pretend to be someplace you aren't. Over time, if you choose this approach of isolating and hiding the real you, then you'll remain lonely on the inside. So when things are hard that come up in your life, share that early with people that you have trust with and you've, you've built trust with. Share that early so people have a way of knowing you and praying for you and supporting you through the difficulties. Again, why not be known? It's not likely going to happen in this room. Actually, next month we'll be talking about ways that we get to know others is, is small groups and serving together. So you'll be hearing about more of those opportunities. But these, this practice, it works here in church life. It works in marriage. It works in your career. It works in building friendships. But this is part of the culture that we want to 
build around here. This is one of our practices. So far, we've looked at two practices. We keep running these plays. So here are the replays. Practice one, put the goals and interests of others above my own, and then this one, live an honest and open life before others. Next week, practice number three is this. It's give and receive scriptural correction. We'll have some fun with this one next week because we'll show some football clips. Uh, in football, quarterbacks have linemen whose whole job is to protect them from getting smashed. And so we need people in our lives who, who can see the danger coming to take us down, take us out, and who can, who can point out things in our lives that we don't see uh, that can really protect us from harm, destruction, slowing down progress, blocking uh, the right kind of goals in our life. And so we need people looking out for us. And that's what this heart attitude is all about next week. So I invite you to come back for that. Uh, Cody and our worship team is going to join me up here on the stage. And uh, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and, and the guidance, uh, both in the boundaries of this is, a, this is a core practice, a boundary for your people. You want us to live an honest and open life before others. This isn't a uh, negotiable suggestion. This is actually one of the ways that you uh, demonstrated and you've called us to live in line with. And so, Lord, please uh, highlight the areas where we're personally challenged that you need and you're calling us to adjust our lives to help us to be people who line up with your uh, ways and your word. When you help us, Lord, to move forward in ways you've shown us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.